0: Hello Knowledge Seekers, in this episode of 20 Minute Books, we dive into The Wild Heart of Feral, a daring and insightful work published in 2013 by the renowned George Monbiot. More than just a book, Feral serves as both a profound analysis and a passionate manifesto that taps into what we intrinsically yearn for, a connection with the untamed world of nature and true wilderness. Monbiot makes a compelling case for rewilding, allowing parts of our planet to return to their natural state, echoing a call for a world where nature thrives unrestrained by human intervention. George Monbiot brings to the table a rich background as a trained zoologist, complemented by his extensive experience as a nature journalist and environmental advocate. As a prominent voice in the environmental discourse, particularly in the United Kingdom, and a regular contributor to The Guardian, Monbiot has penned several influential books, including Captive State and The Age of Consent. Ferral beckons to a broad audience range, from ardent environmentalists seeking fresh perspectives and ideas, to individuals intrigued by the complex interplay between humans and nature and to land or property managers aspiring to incorporate a more ecocentric approach in their stewardship of the environment. Join us as we explore how Monbiot's vision for a rewilded world not only holds promise for the healing of our planet, but also for the rekindling of the human spirit through a reconnection with the wild that lies both around and within us. Feral, rewilding the land, sea, and human life. Introduction, rediscover the wild, why going feral is good for you and the planet. Imagine yourself wandering through an ancient forest, feeling the rough bark beneath your fingertips, listening to the melody of bird calls and inhaling the earthy scent of the wild. It's a far cry from the manicured parks and orderly gardens in the midst of our urban sprawls. The world of neatly trimmed lawns is quite removed from the untamed ecosystems where nature rules without human intervention. And it's this raw, uncontrolled aspect of the earth that we've become estranged from. George Monbiot, a passionate advocate for rewilding, urges us to reacquaint ourselves with the wild. He asserts that not only does our human spirit yearn for encounters with wilderness, but the environment also heals from our efforts to rewild it. Monbiot's observations are particularly focused on his homeland, the United Kingdom, but the insights gained span the globe, encouraging everyone to embrace the chaos and beauty of nature in its purest form. Embrace adventure and learn about the peculiar British sea-dweller that's best admired from a distance, historical evidence of children's bond with nature dating back centuries, and the surprising environmental alarm signalled by blooming blankets of bluebells. Join this journey for a compelling narrative that redefines the boundaries between human spaces and the wild, and discover how stepping back into nature can change your world perspective. Part 1. Unearthing the Truth. The High Cost of Gold in the Brazilian Rainforest. Delve into a world where greed clashes with nature where shimmering prospects of gold lead to the desolation of the majestic Brazilian rainforest and the endangerment of its ancient guardians. The author, George Monbiot, shares a gripping tale from his time amidst the turmoil of environmental destruction and the stark human cost that accompanies it. In 1989, while working with an environmental organization, Monbiot ventured into the heart of Brazil's mining operations. The journey began with a daring bypass of a police blockade at Boa Vista Airport, leading him deep into the Amazon, a realm suffering from the rampant scourge of deforestation and the relentless chase for gold. Encompassed by sprawling devastation, Monbiot bore witness to the tragic collateral of the gold rush. In a land punctuated by violence, more than 1,500 miners fell to bullets over disputes rooted in gold and greed. Yet, The indigenous Yanomami tribes faced even graver perils as they contended with the relentless invasion of their homes and the spread of unfamiliar diseases. After navigating the dense vegetation of the jungle, Mombiod encountered a Yanomami community discovering a sobering reality. With so many elders lost to violence or illness, leadership had fallen to a young 18-year-old. Within the Malokas, circular palm-thatched abodes, He observed the resilient Yanomami attempting to dance away disease and desolation as the sick languished on hammocks, and Monbiot himself joined their rituals, lending what aid he could. Despite international outcry and calls for conservation, the gold rush left behind a brutal legacy, reducing the Yanomami population by a harrowing 20%, putting a human face on the environmental tragedies we so often hear about. This stark illustration serves as a reminder of the true price of industry on both nature and humanity. Part 2 Enchantment of Indigenous Wisdom A Westerner's Revelation. Picture a world anchored in the immediacy of life, where spontaneity drives action and deep connections form with the pulsing rhythm of the earth. This is the world that captivated George Mombio after his encounter with the Maasai of Kenya a stark contrast to the structured life we know in the West. Meeting a Maasai warrior named Toronke in 1992, Monbiot was drawn into a lifestyle where instinct and passion lead the way. He marveled at how effortlessly Toronke would undertake a 35-mile journey on an impulse, driven by the simple desire to visit a friend. The ingenuity of the moment embodied what Monbiot felt missing in his own life's narrative, irrepressible spontaneity. An incident that truly encapsulated the allure of this lifestyle was the whirlwind romance and elopement between Toronke and a woman he met along his path. Their story unfolded rapidly, a testament to the directness of affection and intention in Maasai society. The author found himself longing for the same vibrancy and unscripted ardor, a sentiment that stood in relief against the often dispassionate routine of Western living. Historically, this enchantment with indigenous cultures isn't an anomaly. Colonial interactions frequently led to conversions of heart and ideology. As Benjamin Franklin noted, European captives among Native Americans seldom yearned to rejoin the strict confines of colonial society, having tasted a life of communal bonds and heartfelt fulfillment. The so called defection of Westerners into indigenous ways of living underscores the profound appeal of a life unfettered by the artificial constraints of modern existence. In his own soul-searching, Mombio began to challenge the norms he had long accepted, igniting a quest to reconcile Western structure with the soul-stirring echoes of the Maasai and other indigenous cultures. It was a personal reckoning with the very essence of living, whether to be corralled by convention or to roam free with the spirit of the wild. Part 3. Embracing Rewilding, Bridging Humanity and the Wilderness Upon returning to the quieter rhythms of life in Wales, the author, George Monbiot, reflected on his experiences and realised there was a piece missing from the mosaic of his settled existence. Though the enriching engagement with indigenous cultures had taught him much, Monbiot wasn't looking to forsake modernity for a life among the tribes. Instead, he sought to fuse contemporary living with an innate human need for the wild. Monbiot acknowledged the harsh realities faced by hunter-gatherer societies, the brevity of life, the lack of health care, and the struggle for sustenance. Additionally, he dispelled the romantic notion that our ancient ancestors lived in perfect harmony with the land. Historical accounts suggest that their arrival often marked a significant disturbance in the ecological balance. However, it was not a regression to a bygone era that Monbiot sought, but an environmental reinvention, a stirring of the soul that longed for communion with the untamed. To combat what he calls environmental boredom, he found his answer in the burgeoning concept of rewilding. Since it made its mark in the lexicon in 2011, the term rewilding has bloomed and branched in meaning. For Monbiot, It encapsulated the vision of relinquishing certain wild spaces back to nature's own devices, rather than meticulously curating them like botanical exhibits. This stands in stark contrast to the commonly managed and manicured nature reserves, which rarely reflect true wilderness. Sometimes conservation efforts involve reintroducing key species, like wolves or elephants, into these groomed landscapes. However, such acts don't quite capture the heart of rewilding, which is less about human-directed processes and more about stepping back and letting nature reclaim its reign. True rewilding advocates for minimal human interference, a simple yet profound act of yielding control. Through this approach, the solution for environmental ennui unfolds, promising a world where nature can surprise and delight us anew filling a void we scarcely knew we had and renewing our ancient bond with the wild. Part 4. Rewilding as a Complement to Modern Society If the prospect of rewilding conjures images of abandoning modern comforts and conveniences to return to a primal existence, let's put those fears to rest. The concept of rewilding, as championed by the author, isn't about discarding the benefits of civilization in favor of foraging in the forest. In fact, it's a harmonious balance between our urban lives and the nurturing of wild spaces that everyone can admire and from which we can all gain value. George Monbiot isn't campaigning for a rewind to the days of hunting and gathering, recognizing that such a way of life would be unsustainable for our burgeoning global population. Christopher Smith's 1992 study revealed that During the Mesolithic era, the carrying capacity of the British Isles was a mere five thousand individuals due to limited food resources, a stark contrast to today's dense urban populations. Indeed, it's clear that with our advanced technology and agricultural methods, we have the ability to feed millions, and turning our backs on this progress isn't the goal. Rewilding is envisioned for those less fertile lands, where farming persists solely through subsidies and yields remain low. Monbiot identifies areas such as mountainous terrain and highlands as prime candidates for rewilding in the UK context. Importantly, rewilding doesn't equate to a human exclusion zone. Rather, these reclaimed wildernesses offer a chance for people to immerse themselves in true wild nature. Imagine lands roamed by wolves, wildcats, beavers and wild boars species that once were synonymous with the British landscape. Civilization has muted our encounters with the wild, which long ago were part and parcel of daily existence, sometimes thrilling, sometimes threatening. To recover from the monotony of over-civilization, we must reintroduce elements of the unpredictable. Wild spaces can serve as conduits for reigniting dormant physical and mental acumen, Sharpened by genuine interactions with unbridled nature, this rewilding vision weaves wildness back into the fabric of our lives, invigorating our own existence through the thrill of life at its most feral. Part 5 The Sea's Dwindling Wilds A Fisherman's Cautionary Tale. Picture the vastness of the ocean, the caress of sea spray on your face, and the thrill of a wild catch. There's an undeniable draw to the untamed sea. George Monbiot shares his love for this aquatic adventure, recounting his own journey into the blue expanse of Cardigan Bay, Wales. Despite the romantic vision of a bountiful sea teeming with fish, Monbiot's expedition yielded a modest catch, merely six mackerel after hours at sea. This meagre haul reflects a grim reality. Overfishing has left its mark on the marine wilderness, and the once-abundant shoals have faded into a mere shadow of their former glory. Local fisherfolk share tales of a time when mackerel shoals could measure three miles in length. Now, those schools have shriveled to mere hundreds of yards. The stark contrast exposes the precipitous decline of marine life, despite assurances to the contrary. Like the European Environmental Agency's 2011 assertion, that the mackerel population isn't endangered. Such claims often speak more to our desensitized ecological perceptions than to the vibrancy of our oceans. Even in the face of these sobering truths, the sea hasn't lost its capacity to surprise and excite. Monbiot's narrative dives deeper as he describes a close encounter with the enigmatic greater weaver during another fishing excursion. In the thrall of the catch, He nearly touched the serpentine creature before a visceral caution stopped him short. It turned out the fish's venomous spines could render a limb useless, a dangerous prospect for anyone alone on the waves. Monbiot's brush with the greater weaver was a stark reminder of the wild thrills that the sea still, on occasion, bestows upon those willing to venture into its depths. It's a potent combination of danger and beauty. That keeps the spirit of the wild alive, even against the backdrop of our overexploited seas. Such encounters, laced with raw adrenaline, are the precious experiences that nature, aficionados seek, fleeting whispers of the untamed world that once was. Part 6, Unearthing History to Reclaim the Future, Rewilding with Ancient Guides. Imagine peeling back the layers of time. Not through pages of history, but through the soil beneath our feet, a repository of life teeming with tiny creatures and monumental tales of the past. For archaeologists, each excavation is a portal into bygone ecologies, painting vivid pictures of the natural world that once was. Such a revelation occurred at the Severn Estuary in Wales, where diligent digging unearthed an ancient salt marsh preserved beneath eons of mud. There, the crisp impression of footprints revealed the interplay between the human and animal kingdoms, with traces of teenage boys stalking deer and children engaged in playful merriment mingled with purposeful strides. It was a tableau that spoke volumes about the roles even the young once played in the sustenance of their clans. Amongst these remnants, the author found fascination in the presence of cranes, majestic birds represented by their unmistakable six inch wide, Tritoed tracks. Once thriving during the Mesolithic period, these towering avians vanished from British skies by the 17th century. Their fossilized footprints ignited a profound realization that some species are natural candidates for reintegration into their former habitats. These majestic creatures, standing at an impressive 4 feet with an 8-foot wingspan and soaring as high as 32,000 feet, invoke awe with their aerial mating dances, a ballet of gravity-defying leaps and graceful descents. Taking a cue from history's whisper, restoration efforts took flight. Since 2009, conservationists have laboured to reintroduce cranes to the British wild, and a breeding colony now flourishes in Somerset, not far from where their ancestors left impressions in the mud. The success story of this rewilding initiative speaks to the possibility of restoring nature's grandeur by reviving species deeply intertwined with our ecological and cultural heritage. It's a resurrection of sorts, a dance with the past to invigorate our present and future ecosystems. Part 7. A Prowling Yearning. The Human Quest for Wild Encounters. Imagine a world where the rustling leaves in your backyard, could signal the stealthy strides of a wildcat. This image might seem like a remnant of a bygone era, or a scene from a wilderness far removed from our daily lives. Yet in the UK, reports of such encounters are more common than one might think. When Welsh policeman Michael Disney claimed to have spotted a large wildcat weaving through the Pembrokeshire landscape in 2011, he became part of a burgeoning collective, each sighting weaving a tapestry of intrigue, about the return of the wild, the tales of the Beast of Barnet, the Crystal Palace Puma, and other mythical felines have captured the public's imagination and fueled speculation about their existence. Merrily Harper's book, Mystery Big Cats, delves into this phenomenon, bolstered by the fact that many witnesses are not your average Joe, but experts in wildlife, lending credence to the sightings. Harpur theorizes that these animals, Often depicted as sleek, muscular shadows, could be melanistic leopards, a rare blackout curtain veiling the more common spotted coat. While the author retains a measure of skepticism about the actual presence of these elusive predators, the unwavering conviction of those who have spotted them points to an interesting psychological possibility. Despite a lack of tangible proof, such as tracks or territorial markings, the continued reports of big cat encounters hint at a deeper longing. Could it be that in our tamed, controlled environments, there's a collective nostalgia for an element of unpredictability, a craving for a brush with the dangerous and the untamed? These sightings, even if born from wishful thinking, serve as a pulse check on the human spirit. They reveal an inherent fascination with the wild, and suggest that within our domesticated landscapes, there persists a desire not only to witness the marvelous creatures of nature but to coexist with a touch of their untamed essence. It's a reminder of how much we might be missing and how textured our lives could be with a reintroduction of the true wilderness. Part 8. The Keystone of Nature The Vital Role of Large Animals in Rewilding In a world teetering on the precipice of ecological imbalance, the author raises an urgent clarion call for the protection and reintroduction of large animals, The unsung heroes of the ecosystem. To some, the emphasis on safeguarding wolves, bears, lynxes, and similar majestic creatures may seem excessive, yet their function within the web of life is pivotal, and their presence is indispensable to the successful restoration of the wild. Consider the plight of the wild boar in Britain, now teetering on the brink of extinction. In their prime, these robust creatures are ecosystem engineers maintaining the health and diversity of woodland habitats. Yet, a walk through British forests today often reveals an alarming homogeneity. A single species ruling the forest floor, whether it's a swath of dog's mercury, a sea of wild garlic, or an enchanting azure wave of bluebells. However enchanting, these floral monocultures signal a deep disturbance in the natural order. Contrasting this, is the Bielowieza forest in Poland, where the earth itself is teeming with life, courtesy of its thriving wild boar population. These animals churn the soil, creating microenvironments that foster a tapestry of flora in a kaleidoscope of colors and forms. Nevertheless, the resurgence of these vital creatures in places like Britain isn't a matter that can be left to chance. It necessitates decisive governmental intervention despite a gradual increase in wild boar numbers. UK government policies have been conspicuously lacking in protection measures, leaving the fate of these ecologically crucial animals at the mercy of landowners who often prioritise their own interests. The crisis at hand demands more than the uncertain benevolence of property stakeholders. It calls for a collective commitment to stewardship, backed by legislation that recognises the intrinsic value of these natural stewards. It's time for a united effort to restore the missing links in our ecosystems and in doing so, rejuvenate the entirety of our shared environment. Part 9. Step Back to Move Forward Letting Nature Take the Helm of Rewilding In the quest to nurture our environment back to a state of flourishing diversity, sometimes the best action is inaction. The author presents a paradoxical strategy in the field of conservation. To achieve true rewilding, we might need to forego our instinct to manage and control, allowing nature to recalibrate itself, unfettered. The current conservation ethos often divides species into allies and adversaries, perpetuating human-centric judgments on the natural world. This practice of labeling certain species as invasive or problematic leads to a curation of the wild that is anything but wild, maintaining habitats in a state suspended from their own evolutionary impulses. In trying to preserve the landscape as it is, conservation efforts sometimes uphold environments that owe their existence to human alteration, disengaged from the authenticity of undomesticated nature. To relinquish this grip, the author suggests a bold step, letting go. By stepping aside and ceasing our ceaseless intervention, we release nature to weave its own narrative. This transformative approach begins with seeing the cultivated as unnatural, such as the green and pleasant hills of England, manicured into uniformity by sheep grazing. These pastoral scenes, while picturesque, are bereft of ecological complexity and represent not the wilderness, but a land dominated by a single imported species. Reorientation requires drastic shifts, Diminishing sheep herding, welcoming back native predators, and resisting the urge to sculpt every inch of our landscapes. This isn't a process that unfolds overnight, but a gradual reintroduction of dynamism and diversity into ecosystems. In doing so, we may witness a renaissance of the natural world, with Britain's rolling pastures transforming into a mosaic of rich forests echoing with the calls of their rightful inhabitants. The vision is clear, a landscape not manicured by human hands, but shaped by the wisdom of wilderness itself. It's a return to roots, to the unfurling tapestry of life as it was meant to be, utterly, resplendently feral. Final summary The crux of feral is a clarion call to action. To stave off the full loss of untamed nature, we must create sanctuaries of the wild, vast tracts of land. Where we step back and allow nature to bloom on its own terms. This process, known as rewilding, may come with a bold to do list the reintroduction of apex predators and keystone species like wolves, bears, and wild boars to their ancestral homes. But it's not just about the animals. To rewild effectively, we must resist the urge to manage every facet of these terrains, trusting the inherent wisdom of natural processes to restore balance and vigor. Humanity's relationship with these spaces is also crucial. They shouldn't exist in isolation of our experience. Instead, they're to be places for us to explore and rediscover our visceral bond with the wild, to witness and engage with a world undirected by human hands, where nature speaks in its unadulterated voice. Feral challenges us to foster corners of the planet Where the harmony of ecosystems can resonate once again, and to ensure that our legacy includes not just technological wonders, but also the embrace of the Earth's flourishing splendor. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought provoking book in our growing library of knowledge.